Hey everyone, this is Tom Singer. Before we get started with today's episode, I want to inform you about a special offer that I have to join a brand new group called My Sales Call. If you work for a small business or if you're a solopreneur, having some people to talk about ideas and best practices and to have a focus and accountability around sales is so important. It's so easy to get caught up in the busy work that we don't do what we need to do to drive the sales in our business. So I have started a weekly call where people can get together and share ideas around sales and then make a commitment to the group of what they're going to accomplish for the next week. It's just like if you work for a big company, your sales manager would have a weekly sales call. This is your sales call. Go to mysalescall.com to find out more and sign up today. Welcome to the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast with your host, Tom Singer. In each episode, we explore the interesting lives of business leaders, entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, and others who have a healthy dose of the entrepreneurial spirit. It is time to explore something cool. Now, here is your host, Tom Singer. Hello, hello, and welcome to or welcome back to another episode of Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. Thank you so much for pulling your chair up to the cool kids table. If you're a regular listener of the show, you know that I started this so that I could have access to really smart people who are doing cool things. Because from time to time in working for myself now for 11 years, and I'm a true solopreneur, I work alone. I have, I have a couple of contractors who help me from time to time, but for the most part, I'm in this game by myself. And every now and then I've hit a plateau or a wall. And uh, I learned a long time ago that one thing is true, and that is success leaves clues. So I found that if I could get to have great conversations with really successful people, they couldn't help it. They were going to give me a nugget, an idea, a theory, or a concept that I could put into play to help me grow my business. And guess what? Because I do this as a podcast, it's here to help you as well. So I think today is going to be a fun episode because uh, we're talking to a serial entrepreneur. We're talking to somebody who, when I talk about success leaves clues, he probably has a basket full of clues that he's going to drop on us. And Ben Lamb is the CEO and founder of Piper Giant. We'll talk a little bit about that in just a minute, but he really is. He's a serial entrepreneur. He has always been uh, a technologist who has been chasing the next wave of sort of what's new in technology. And these days he works in and around AI and defense. And we're going to kind of unpack what he does, what he did, and why he's so successful. So Ben Lamb, welcome to Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me. So, Ben, I don't read the bios that, you know, your fancy PR people send because I think it's better <laughs> to hear it straight from you. So could you please kind of walk people through uh, what's what is your history? How did you get into being a technology entrepreneur? And then tell us about Piper Giant. Well, I've always been um, really interested in, you know, uh, technology, you know, since since I was an early since earlier in my career, I've always been really interested in technology. And I think I'm generally like unemployable by big organizations. <laughs> I think my family, when I was younger, thought that I would, uh, you know, be uh, either uh, an entrepreneur and, you know, kind of find my own way and do it my, find my own path and do it my own way. Or I would just end up being, um, you know, unemployed and living at home for the rest of my life. I, I don't think they thought that I was going to um, probably make it in general corporate America. I've only had a handful of corporate American jobs. So <laughs> I think they're pretty right. Uh, and, and so I started uh, pretty early when I was in college. I started a, an e-learning company. Uh, I had this whole thesis that you know at the time uh, e-learning was black text on you know a white screen. It was really 
you know, e-reading more than e-learning. And I thought, well, you know, why can't we, you know, e-learning be sexy? And to date myself, it was uh, the days of Flash before, you know, Apple and everyone else killed Flash back in the day. And so uh, when that was the evolution of the web where everything went from static to everything had to move all of the time. And so I started applying that uh, to e-learning. So built an e-learning business in college, you know, some great customers like Genentech and Whirlpool and Toyota. Where did, where, where did you go to college? I went to Baylor University in Texas. Oh, nice. And, and where, where do you live now? Uh, so I split my time uh, between an airplane, uh, <laughs> uh, Austin and Dallas. All right. So I live in Austin. I don't know if you knew that. So I didn't. I, I, my place is right there off South Congress. So we should okay. get a beer. I, I'm, I am all about getting a beer and I live in South Austin. So that that's perfect. So so I South asked Austin is the only part of Austin. I think that's still kind of Austin. I was actually born in Austin. So it's been interesting to see the evolution uh, of the city over the last, uh, you know, especially the last 10 years. Well, it's so interesting because uh, I don't actually live in the weird part. I actually live in Circle C. So I live in like suburbia. I live in like the, they designed the, they designed the elementary schools and the Starbucks to all be part of my neighborhood. <laughs> but, uh, but but around where South Congress, where your office is and stuff, that that area is still the only true Austin. Yeah, I feel. Yeah. And I hope they keep it that way. I mean, there's there's a Soho house and an Equinox and other stuff. Yeah. Rolling in, so we'll see. Yeah, once the equinox comes, it, it, it's all over. So anyway, let's get back to your story. So, so while oh, you sorry. were you started all this back in the days when you were at Baylor and sort of yeah, beyond. Started in college, yeah. uh, sold that business, and then I got pretty passionate about uh, uh, mobile. So I started a company called Chaotic Moon, which was one of the largest mobile app developers in the U.S. We worked on projects, everyone ranging from Pizza Hut to Starbucks. And we had this kind of joke that when people asked what we did, if we just asked for their phone, there was like a 90% chance <laughs> one of our apps was on their phones. So we did that for a while. That company got bought by Accenture, got into mobile gaming. Um, you know, we had, nobody knew the gaming company that uh, well, but you know, a lot of people knew uh, some of our games like Dragon Academy that ended up uh, getting acquired by Zynga. And then I got really passionate about AI. And so my partner from Team Chaos and I started a company called Conversable, which was focused on conversational intelligence and trying to, you know, capitalize on this next wave of millennials and in, in moving away from apps, ironically, into messaging and, you know, building conversational models for companies for customer care and commerce. Uh, we grew that and, you know, a couple of years in, uh, we had some interesting uh, uh, inbound interest and we ended up, it, the company ended up getting acquired by Live Person, which is the largest uh, consumer uh, customer care chat company in the world. And then, uh, and then I started Hypergiant, which is kind of my, um, you know, the thing that I'm doing now, it's something that, you know, it's crazy ambitious. I think it, it kind of balances the altruistic side of me and also kind of the uh, curiosity side of me with AI. And uh, yeah, we're, I'm in the process of building it. We're about 20 months in and it's going pretty well. So let's talk about Hypergiant. How, how did, what, the, what does Hypergiant do? <laughs> It's a great question. <laughs> you go to the website, you may have a lot of different answers. Um, but, but ultimately, you know, at, at the highest level, we think that there's a huge need for, and we, we believe that artificial intelligence and, uh, and intelligent technology as a whole, the whole category, has the opportunity to be massively transformative and as transformative as connectivity in the internet. And, and so if you're going to, you know, have that kind of power, uh, where do you focus where you can have the biggest impact? And so we focus on buying and building artificial intelligence uh, service and product companies and uh, at the intersection of critical infrastructure, space, and defense. And so 
those are all industries that have a ton of data that understand the value of data. Some of them are a little more archaic than others, and they haven't gone through digital transformation, so they definitely haven't gone through intelligence transformation. And then we try to uh, build uh, software or buy software companies that uh, solve big problems across those different genres and then take them to market uh, you know, through kind of the hypergiant umbrella. Um, so, so that's kind of the, the highest level. And then what a lot of people know about us is we, we actually spend a, a decent amount of money and time uh, and then on our R&D lab, you know, inventing the future that, you know, we were, were, were promised. And we work on stuff ranging from, you know, uh, heads up displays and kind of next gen uh, spacesuits all the way to uh, climate change uh, initiatives uh, using, you know, growing algae. So it's a it's a, it's an interesting company. It, it, there's a lot of different uh, pieces to it, but we've got just an incredible team of uh, women and men that, uh, you know, are kind of focused on the mission, but also are focused on kind of advancing humanity in, in some of these different areas. So I absolutely love the comment you made about researching the future we were all promised. Uh, you know, I'm I'm a, I'm a product. I was born in the '60s, so uh, I grew up watching the Jetsons, and I'm still waiting for my my flying cars. And well, I said uh, I I I, I kind of got uh, I kind of I don't know I, I kind of got some shit or crap or I don't know what I, I don't know what the cussing rules are on this. There's I, no rules. I, I, got, I got some feedback because I actually said. You know, I was promised flying cars. Where is that shit? And I said that in an interview. They printed it as is. And but it's true. It's like we, we like if you go back and if you even look at the hypergiant brand, it's kind of this Venn diagram of of an homage to the future that never happened, right? It was like it's high fashion meets government lab meets retrofuturism. <laughs> and I think that retrofuturism is, is really important because you know there was this period where we were like, we're gonna have uh, clean water. We're going to have endless energies. We're going to be taking, you know, we're going to have flying cars. We're going to uh, vacation on Venus. And like, you know, you, you've seen all these like fifties posters of that, you know, we're in a little world without racism and sexism. A lot of that stuff just, we're going to have clean water. Just <laughs> a lot of that stuff just hasn't happened. And so um, I kind of feel like we're at this really unique time from a geopolitical perspective where, Technology companies were supposed to usher in that golden age, right? And what did most technology, you know, all these these companies that were going to like do no evil and be amazing? What did they do? <laughs> they stole our data and sold it to the biggest bidder. That's so yeah. I, I, I going to do. A, so I want to build this company that like you know people want to rally behind, and so you know our our messaging and our our soul of the company is really focused on on you know while we do have to do a lot of work to you know, obviously make money, we want to make the world more efficient. We want to make the world better. And we want to be a company that people want to believe in because I feel like that's been lost in, um, in technology. I feel like technology has gone from the usher in of the golden age of humanity. It's now technology companies are the evil bad guys that steal your data, right? And so I think there's, a, I think there's an opportunity to build a company that stands for something in the technology sector. You bring up such an interesting point with that, and we're kind of going down a rabbit hole, but it is true. The, the early stage of some of these Silicon Valley companies and beyond, they, they were going to treat people better, and they were going to solve all these problems of, you know, male-dominated companies, and they were going to save all the, solve all these problems of sex or, you know, racism and sexism and all this stuff. They were going to do good. They were going to help the planet. And now we have Amazon and Google and Facebook and all these places, and, and the employees are all writing tell-all books. Right. And I mean, you know, I think there's a function of, you know, I, I think people, you know, what is the the old adult that that old phrase like, you know, the, the path to hell is paved with good intentions. So I believe that I believe there's a, a lot of you know great intentions 
you know, from a lot of the leadership out there, but in some of it is a function of scale, right? It's, it's easy for me to say with a, you know, 200 plus company person company and not a 200,000 person company that I can keep our mission straight. You know, I think if we do a good job, hopefully over time, as we continue to scale, we'll continue to stay true to our roots. Um, and so I don't want to overly bad mouth the Valley, but, it, but it's true, right? It's like, there's, there's trade-offs. And so I think that, I really think that we, we uh, stand, I think it's a really interesting time to be an entrepreneur because I think we're, we're moving in society. Millennials and others are moving away from celebrating people who just want to make money to people that actually want to, you know, make a difference. And if they make money while making a difference, that's great. Right. But we don't need just another company that makes money. And so I think that, that people are starting to understand, you know, the value of you can, you know, make a difference and make money at the same time. And I think those companies are going to be rewarded long-term and I think they're going to be celebrated long-term. And the, the stuff I'm reading about the next generation, who's just now starting to get out of college, this generation Z, they aren't about, in fact, they look down on the people like Bezos and other people. I mean, they're very much like saying we need to change this. So I think the sea change is, is coming because they're all about to hit the workforce. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And I think I, I went to this really interesting, I think it was Ernst & Young or one of the big consulting firms a year or so ago put on the symposium talking about millennials. And, you know, there's always this like weird, you know, vibe that some people, older people have and brands have around millennials. But it turns out that millennials are actually insanely brand loyal and they're actually not price sensitive. And so if you look at all of the research, they care about what people stand for. And if they believe in your mission, they'll pay more for your product. I mean, look at Patagonia versus um, North Face, right? They'll pay more if they believe in the core values of that company. And they're very brand loyal. And so I, I think that now it's an opportunity to not just make dumb stuff and then pack and then really well market it. I think there's an opportunity now to like market what you stand for. And so that's why I joked earlier about the, the hyperdrive website. We don't overly push like, here's all of the software that we have. Here is all of the technology. We have. Here's all the AI models we have. I don't think that enterprise software is just bought off a website or an e-commerce site. I think those are, you know, through directed sales and channel partners or relationships. And so we spend a lot of time on our marketing, you go to our social media, our Instagram or anywhere. It's really, we want people to know that, we celebrate other entrepreneurs. We celebrate other technology. We really want other people to understand like who we are just as much as what we do. Because if you like someone and you like who they are and what they stand for, then you'll have a conversation and then that could lead into opportunities, right? Like we get more recruiting off of our uh, Instagram than anything, which is amazing. Hmm. Well, that is kind of fascinating. So you've been doing this a long time. You've had some really good wins. You've started some interesting companies, worked around interesting technologies. You said that you sort of kind of had that entrepreneurial gene from the beginning. So now that you've been doing it for a long time, what is it that you love about the life of being an entrepreneur? I don't, I have this weird insatiable curiosity. And so for me, the pursuit of curiosity, I've never, I've always been in technology, you know, it's been in emerging tech, in kind of emerging tech trends, but it's never been exactly the same, right? Like software is software is software, but ultimately it's in, in, in different sectors. And so I've always been uh, passionate about technology, always been passionate about software, but at the end of the day, uh, I, you know, that's always been the trend, but I've always been in, in new categories. So I love the, that passionate kind of pursuit of, of curiosity, but uh, you know, on the lifestyle, I don't know if I would, wish I, I wrote this one piece for entrepreneur magazine about entrepreneurs are born not made because i do think that there's massive character flaws and 
defects <laughs> in entre- in successful entrepreneurs. <laughs> and, um, and so I don't know if I wish the entrepreneur spirit or the entrepreneur lifestyle on anyone because it is, it is painful. Um, but you know, cause if you are a true entrepreneur or a serial entrepreneur, then, you know, you're even more dysfunctional and you have that massive raging fire just to keep going. And, you know, I think that the, the best entrepreneurs, the people that I'm inspired by are a lot of times, you know, not driven. I mean, economics are great, right? Like that's, a, that's an interesting scorecard. That's an interesting, uh, thing that, that, you know, it creates wealth, which is interesting and you can do a lot with it, but ultimately, you know, it's that, it, that inspiration to do more, right. And push the next bounds. And so, uh, I, I don't know if sleepless nights and being in, you know, four cities or two countries in the same weeks so, is something I love about the lifestyle, <laughs> but you know, it, it's something that I think I'm just, um, you know, uh, <laughs> somehow broken into <laughs> well it's job. funny because i make my living speaking at corporate meetings i speak in at inside companies and at association meetings and so i'm on airplanes a lot and everybody goes oh you're a professional speaker and corporate trainer god that is so glamorous and i'm like yes i have no idea if i'm in a marriott or a hyatt tonight i just oh i love that you said that i mean i, I hate that for you because it's the same for me but like uh this week i've been in three different cities and like i'll wake up and they'll be i'm, I'm sure i don't know if you experienced this but it's not, all, it's not every night, but, you know, probably several times a month, I'll wake up and be like, where am I? Like, there's a 15 seconds of like, oh, totally. Where, where I, am I? I've been there. The worst part is like going to room 1604 with your key and going bleep and you get a red light and you're like, come on, bleep, 1604, <laughs> bleep. And then you realize 1604 was your room last night in Pittsburgh. And yeah. tonight you're in Philadelphia and you're in room 129. You know, it's like, yeah, oh. I've, I've, I, I, I have been there. And so, yeah, it's, it, it, it is, I think it's over, like, you know, I, I've written a couple of things that are darker and, <laughs> and it's not to paint a negative picture on entrepreneurship, but it's just, there is a trade-off. And I do think that people should be more realistic about it. And, and, and a lot of times it's over glamorized, right? Because people see the results of successful entrepreneurs. People see an exit, right? They read a press release, but they don't know, like, you know, they don't know about the board fight that you had to approve the R&D budget to build a product that doesn't make any money. Like they don't <laughs> see that. They just see, they don't, they don't, you know, they, they don't see the, the times that your lawyers are talking to other lawyers. I mean, they, they don't see those moments, right? Or the, the times that you're fighting with your family. Like they, they just see the, oh, you won this award or you were on this, you were with this celebrity or, or, or you, you know, got to be, you got to be on cool. You got to be on cool things. Entrepreneurs do. How exciting exactly. is that? Exactly. So they don't see the, the, the pain, you know, they see the results of the pain. It's a, it's kind of like working out, right? Like you, you, you get the beach body, but you, you don't see the like, Oh, well I didn't eat bread for seven years and right. I ran a thousand miles a year or whatever it is. And I don't do that, but well, but, uh, but whoever does that, I mean, it's, you see the results of it, but you don't see the, you know, hour and a half in the gym well a friend of mine said the other day because i i spoke for a med tech company and i'd never spoken in that field before and so i had to sort of dissect what do employees go through who work in that field because they have so much regulation and so much to deal with insurance and all this different stuff and so i had to spend like five or six hours just understanding and, and i wasn't even talking to anything to do with you know getting insurance approved but i had to learn what the people in the room deal with and they're like, wow, you got paid that much money, you know, for an hour. And it's like, yeah, it really wasn't an hour. It was, you know, there was, it was like a full day of preparation, you know, yeah. in order to do that. So and I got paid that time. Yeah, travel, there's, right. there's, a, there's a lot on, and then when you're, as you know, when you're brought in to be an expert on something, 
they're paying you to be an expert. So you have to do the research, you have to show up and you have to deliver. And, you know, that takes preparation, that takes work. You know, I've got, I've got meetings uh, with, with a big government agency in Colorado all of next week. And, you know, I'm going to spend my weekend uh, making sure that our decks are good. I'm going to make sure, and I'm, I'm going with the team. It's not just me going and I'm going to make sure that the decks are right. I'm going to make sure that it aligns. I'm going to do research on every general that's there. And like, I mean, that's the work that it takes, right? Because if someone is going to give you money or their time or, or a combination of both, you need to be respectful and, and be prepared. And, and I think people miss out on all those extra hidden hours of entrepreneurship. So that's a perfect transition to the next question. And that is, what advice do you have for somebody who's listening to this? Because a lot of the people who listen to the show, they've either just started a company or they want to. And sometimes they're like me, they're a solopreneur doing their own things, but sometimes they have something that's much more scalable. So what advice do you have for the person who's gonna or has taken that leap? I, I don't, it's, it's a great question. Probably should have been more prepared for it, but uh, I should have thought through that, as I just said. Um, but I, you know, I don't think there's one answer of, of advice to fits all, you know, people, I, I, you see these leadership books, you see all these different mantras out there. Um, the, the, the two things that have helped me, and I don't, I don't want to say it's going to help everyone is, uh, I try really hard to make sure that I take at least an hour a day to go out and focus. Like I'll either go for, and it doesn't have to be high exertion, but I'll go for a walk I'll go to the gym. I will go. I, like I, I will do something to just disconnect because you will find that even if you work twenty three hours, taking that one hour is is really key. And it can be mindless. Like I mean, sometimes it's watching Bravo, which is literally the mind, most mindless thing in the fucking world. And so you can do that if, if if you want. But taking an hour, like the work, will always be there. That for me has been helping. And it's actually it's actually required a lot of discipline. The second thing that I would say is that. There, no one, and this sounds dark, but it's true. A lot of people that are not entrepreneurs are not going to understand your problems. I got into this weird idea earlier in my career where I was like raising capital and I would call my buddies that worked at like, you know, a, a great real estate company or whatever that they just weren't going down the entrepreneur journey. So find a community of, of people that have done it or entrepreneurs online, you know, listen to, listen to, to podcasts like this, listen to read books, talk, talk to the right, get into the right communities, either in person or virtually because people that haven't gone through it just won't understand. And that's, that's not a mean thing. It's just people will not understand your problems and they're not going to be sympathies to it. Cause like, like we said earlier, they're going to just look at the outcome and, you know, someone that's working, you know, if, if you're going through like trying to sell your company or raise capital or, or you can't make payroll and you try to talk to someone that, you know, is over glorifying your lifestyle and your work that works at a, you know, a great retail job or a great restaurant job or whatever, they're not going to understand it. And so you're not going to find that sympathy. So I think it's really my, my closest friends are entrepreneurs. And it's because even in different sectors, because there is this common ground that, oh my gosh, like I've been there at companies where I couldn't make payroll. And I'm like, how am I going to, I got four days to figure out how to pay these 50 people or whatever. I've been there where it's like, I don't want to sell to this company. I want to sell this company. My board wants me to take this deal. I've had hostile board members. I, I've gone, I've had to fire founders. I, I, I've gone through a lot. And unless you've gone through some of those, those trials and tribulations, you won't get it. So my biggest advice is find people that are experiencing it with you because those people 
Like even if they're in completely different industries, there are commonalities that you can learn from, but you can also have the right shoulder to cry on because a lot of people just won't be sensitive to it. I think, I think that's great advice and I live by it. So I'm part of a mastermind group that has now existed for seven years. And it started with, there were five of us who were all professional speakers. One person left the business and moved on and took a job. And the four of us said, Let, let's keep going. And we were going to always add somebody, but the closer we got, the more we thought that's not fair to them or us to try to bring somebody into this little family. They've become my board of directors. We have a monthly call via Zoom. And then once or twice a year, we rent a house somewhere and move in together. And we go through each other's numbers. We talk about marketing. We talk about, hey, that topic will work in med tech or that, you know, have you ever spoken to a law firm? And we give each other ideas. And the reality is, is that we always joke that without each other, you know, everybody thinks they know what our business is about. Nobody knows what our business is about. So I think whatever industry you're in, you know, you've got to find people who get you. Yeah. And I like, like I said, I, I think that there's massive character defects that make successful entrepreneurs. So finding those other dysfunctional people is a good thing. Like, <laughs> a basket of dysfunctionals. It, it, it's helped me keep saying like, like I, I've had these moments where like, I, I, I won't, get, I can't give specifics on this particular deal with the NDAs, but I had one of the companies that I built and, and was acquired, you know, that, the they were, they were the second highest bidder. I wanted them to win. Uh, and you know, a, a very close entrepreneur, a friend of mine, who's been a partner in a lot of business of mine said, Hey, look, you're going to have to call this guy and you're going to have to walk away and you're going to have to just in, in, you have to have the guts to just completely walk away from this deal. And I did, and, and I would have done that without his 100% advice. And I did, and they came back and they ended up significantly raising. It ended up working out great. Um, but, but you know, that's, that is because he had gone through those trials and tribulations. And it's really scary when you've got a bird in the hand and to say no. Right. And so, um, you know, unless you've been there and kind of stared into that abyss, <laughs> You don't know. You just, it's, just, it's just hard, and so I, I think I, I just I am so thankful for my um, entrepreneur peers and friends that have you know been there for me. So Ben, one of the things I talk about when I go to a conference or I go into a company is I call it crossing the performance gap. And it's how do you overcome this paradox of potential? And my, my research behind what I call the paradox of potential is we get really excited about potential. We hire Becky into the company and we think, oh, she's going to do great. And a year later, we're transferring her out. It didn't work out. Well, yeah. how come? If she had potential, why didn't it work? And, and the reality is there's a lot of people, a lot of entrepreneurs who start businesses who have a ton of potential who just fall into that abyss. And then there's other people who have as much potential or maybe even less who succeed. So what do you think the delta is in that room between uh, potential and performance? Um, you know, and you're probably a better expert on this than me, but my, my, for me, I think it's uh, determination or some d degree of rage. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, I, I like, I had another deal, you know, because like I said, people see the tombstones, people see the, the other stuff. I had another deal and we were two days away from closing this deal. And one of my partners said, the, said something to the current CEO of the acquiring company, didn't go over as well as we thought. <laughs> and uh, in, in two days, I mean, docs were done, half a million dollars legal fees, just, I mean, and that uh, they walked. And, and then, you know, we had think you know we had an interesting company and we had other suitors and so it it, ended up, it actually ended up being a better outcome so I'm glad it worked you know I believe that every I think the universe takes care of us and we we listen to it and we'll 
you know, we'll, we'll end up where we're supposed to be. But, um, you know, it, it's just determination. At, at that point, I think that there are these moments that that would break people, right? It's like you're two days away from, you know, a great return for you and your employees and your investors and a great home forever. It, it, it was just a massive win and then fall apart after, you know, six months of deals and negotiation. I think that breaks people. And so if you can just like get up the next day and just go do it, um, it, uh, you know, I, I think that, that that's helpful. I was a couple, uh, I don't know, like a month and a half ago, I was at, um, I was speaking at Spacecom and I was with one of uh, uh, our employees and we, we, we ended up having meetings with, you know, uh, we went speaking all day and then we had one of our advisors, Bill and I was there. So we had stuff with Bill, we had dinner with Bill and then we had a drinks thing with, um, uh, with Google. And so we, we had, we had all of these meetings set up, right? It was a full 7am to 2am day, uh, to 2am the next day. And, and the next day, uh, we had to be at Johnson Space Center, which is, you know, 45 an hour, an hour drive south at, at 7.30. And, you know, got in the car and he's exhausted. And that, that, that meeting was, you know, to kind of shepherd some of our, um, uh, some of our VIPs and hosts that we were going to walk around and, and show some behind the scenes stuff at NASA, which is pretty cool. But, and, but it wasn't like an actual meeting. And uh, my long, uh, long-term friend and an employee turned to me and said, I now know sometimes what, what I never knew, because he was an entrepreneur at one point in his career. He said, one of the things that I found about you is that it's it's six a.m. and we went to bed at two a.m. and you are literally, you know, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, drinking a Red Bull, ready to go to you know ten hour, eight hours, or whatever it was in Johnson Space Center. And it's just about putting in the work. And yeah. so I, I that that story that was just a real recent example of like we were all exhausted, but we just had you know, we made the commitment, you just have to go in there no matter how tired you are. And so I, I don't think enough time people just realize that part of the secret sauce is just putting in the work and showing up. You know, it's like if a deal falls apart, go find another one. And it may take six <laughs> months, it may take a day, it may take, in, in the other case, of, uh, the other example, it only took a, a little bit of time, but, um, but just show up and do it. Absolutely. Hey, I've got a couple more questions for you before I'm going to let you go. But first- Great. I got to thank the sponsor of this episode. So this episode, it's brought to you by Podfly Productions. Podfly, they take the time and the headache out of creating your own podcast. Podfly sets you up with the right equipment, training, and guidance to ensure that you're going to sound amazing. They do all the heavy lifting and the technical work so that you can focus on creating great content, growing your audience, and interviewing really cool people like Ben Lamb. Hey, if you want to start a podcast, and I know, I know that some of you do, jump over to podfly.net slash cool things and check out the offer that they have for the listeners of this show. So Ben, I call this show Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. What's the coolest thing you're doing right now with your company? Um, You know... NASA, I will argue, is the greatest brand that America has. Like, regardless of where you go in the world and what they think about, um, you know, the U.S. currently or policy or whatever, people love NASA, right? Because it stands for hope and it stands for uh, admiration. It's, it stands for like kind of reaching the impossible. You know, getting to work. You know, we, we get to we get to work on a lot of really cool things, which is which is exciting. Uh, a lot of which that's you know, but for big you know, company, big industrial companies, and also for 
uh, uh, the federal government that we can't always talk about. But, you know, getting to work and getting to go to NASA Marshall, getting to go to Johnson Space Center, getting to sit down and, and understand the problems that, uh, you know, they're working on and seeing where you can collaborate and help. It, 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 it's to me, it's, it's, it's a big open box of, of areas. But like one of the things that our R&D team is working on right now is next gen heads up displays for non-persistent, non-persistent heads up displays for firefighters, for astronauts, for, you know, all, all kinds of different use cases. But it's like, you know, it, it, that kind of thing goes back to our core mission of inventing the future that, you know, we thought should already be here. Like, we didn't think of these things, but having like kind of that heads up display like you see in a movie for astronauts to give them all the data that they need. It, it's a it's a really cool project. It's an R&D project. Most people forget that the R in research and development stands for research. So it doesn't all, it's not just development. It takes a long time to figure out this stuff. But uh, some of the stuff that we're working on um, around uh, uh, space flight systems, imaging tech, and then also um, uh, specifically around um, uh, potential next gen, you know, we're not, we haven't won anything, but the potential next gen um, uh, uh, astronaut suits, space suits is pretty cool. So um, that's, that's pretty exciting. I'm super passionate about climate change. So I have to plug, you know, again, another R&D project, you know, focusing on, you know, how we can, you know, put our money where our mouth is and actually invest in, uh, you know, trying to solve different, you know, giving our skill sets with the men and women that work at Hypergiant and robotics and in AI, how can we, you know, continue to perfect our uh, bioreactors that hopefully we can reach scale and critical mass and, and, and have an effect on climate change. Hopefully we'll talk Austin into rolling about in Austin, which would be cool. Um, but uh, yeah, I think those are the kind of the two big areas that, uh, every day, no matter what you're working on or what problems you're going on. It's like, oh, we're doing really cool stuff. That <laughs> I was going to say, both of I, I was trying to decide which one was cooler, that you're actually I don't know. doing, doing we, things we, to help the environment or that you get to work at NASA. I know, it's, it's cool. And, and like, we haven't announced this yet, but we're also working on this weird food computer thing. Not quite ready to talk about it yet, but like, yeah, we, we were working on a lot of cool stuff that we think has massive impact, which we're excited about. So do you ever have to pinch yourself when you're sitting there with people from NASA realizing that you're talking to people from NASA? I mean, what's weird is like they're asking us ideas <laughs> and questions and, and I'm like, you guys work at NASA. I'm like, <laughs> why, am, why am I here? Why, why did you let me in the building? So, so uh, I got to tell you, I got to tell you a funny story. So I have a 23 year old daughter and when she was a little girl, her whole dream was to be the head of NASA. And I have I because of her, it's not what she ended up going into. It's not what she does. But when she was younger, like like age 10 through like 16, she would tell people, they go, what do you want to do when you grow up? She said, I want to be the head of NASA. And people would look at her and they'd go, oh, you want to be an astronaut? And she would look at them perplexed every time. Like, why would you say that? And she would say, no, astronauts could die. No one has no one has ever died in the control room. She wanted to, like, run the missions and then eventually run the whole association. That's awesome. I mean, that's a, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a great thing. Like who doesn't love, I mean, space is cool. And it, you know, to, to quote Bill Nye, space brings out the best in us. Like there's been a ton of technologies and a ton of great international collaboration around space. And so it's a, it's a hard, you know, it's a hard thing not to get behind. So when you get to hang out with like Bill Nye or you get to do things like this again, I find that in my job, right? I get to speak at these conferences and all of a sudden I'm, I'm sitting there, 
you know, getting to have breakfast with, uh, I've had breakfast with Gene Cernan before he died, the last man to walk on the moon because I was going to yeah. be interviewing him live on stage. So we had a private breakfast in a, like a private room. And, I, you know, it was like, I'm like, I'm sitting here with the last man who walked on the moon or I get to meet some other celebrity who's a speaker. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm, I'm having a drink with Colin Powell. Uh, do you ever feel like, like entrepreneurs, when they succeed, opportunities come their way they never dreamed of? Yeah, 100%. Um, and some of them are weird, right? Like um, Gene Simmons is a weird friend of mine. I mean, we're not, we don't see eye on a lot of things, but, but like, uh, and I wouldn't say we're, we're close friends, but like he's like paying me, you know, he saw one of the previous companies, wanted to get involved with it. And I was like, no, but I'm not with him. So it's, it's kind of interesting, you know, he invited me to a couple of concerts. So it was just kind of weird and interesting where you kind of, it does create these, unique um opportunities right which, which are cool and sometimes they're weird and insane and and sometimes you you create this you know like like even though i've done it now a bunch like when i took when i went with some of these folks on this uh on, on one of the nasa tours and they got to see some of this stuff the look in these like amazing people's eyes that do all this great work that were they were like childlike wonder behind the scenes at NASA, right? And so it's like, whoa, I've done this really cool thing and now I've been able to show other people this experience. It's cool. And it it, it is cool. It, it is exciting. So we could talk, Ben, about you and all the great things that you've done and that you're going to do in the future for hours, but we're like a 35, 45 minute podcast, so we can't. But I love to ask the people who come on the show, when you look out into the world of entrepreneurs, because I think great entrepreneurs, I think they're observers. Who do you see where you say, wow, she or he, they're doing cool things? Yeah, no, it's a great, um, it's a great question. So like uh, there's obvious, there's some obvious answers, right? Like I'm, I'm sure you've heard the Elon Musk answer. Yes, like, Elon, that's the number one answer. That's the number one answer we've gotten in 530 shows. Yeah, Elon's great. It, it's hard not to get behind him, right? It's like, you know, I think he's got a big vision uh, for a lot of different parts of humanity. And I think he surrounds himself with really smart people that can execute it. Like, I think sometimes people think that Elon execute everything, but he actually has great women and men that execute a lot of those things for him. So, so I think Elon's an easy answer. And it's a great answer. Like I, I aspire to him, but, but one of this, this is a newer entrepreneur and she's more of a PhD student than an entrepreneur, but I, I believe in her. Um, my entire career as we've talked about has been really focused on, you know, the next emerging tech but what's interesting is like, even with like the bioreactor and other things, there's, those are still emerging tech answers. Right. And so, um, there's a, a lady out of, uh, there's a lady out of London uh, who's actually from Delhi named Shneel Malik. Uh, I'll send you a link to her. Um, and I, I got introduced to her. I actually like read an article and it was like, I have to talk to this person. You know, uh, she's a, she's a, she either is a PhD or is a PhD candidate uh, in London. And, you know, uh, she's from India and she was like, you know, the water in Delhi it, it's been this particular area was like highly, um, uh, you know, was highly polluted. And what happened is the pollution in the air when it rains it, or the pollution collects on the buildings. And then when it rains, that, wa that water runs down buildings and it goes uh, into the water supply. And so she uh, invents, she, you know, she's a designer and, uh, you know, she actually created this like bio integrated design. And, uh, it, and it's awesome. I'll, I'll, we, uh, we'll get Fleischman or someone to send you the article. And she, she's so inspiring because she changed my perspective because I always think technology first based on my entire career, right? Technology, technology, 
the technology needs infrastructure, needs connectivity, needs power. But like there are so many parts of the world that are that need solutions that are also low tech. So Schneel has invented these tiles that are beautiful, by the way. They go on the sides of buildings that you can literally that that are are bio uh, bio integrated designed in a way that like it, it's designed to grow algae. And so what's amazing is they do great carbon capture. The sides of buildings are beautiful and green and they're alive and then it cleanses the air and it also it also helps when uh pollutants go through runoff and the uh, runoff from a building goes through these tiles it actually helps purify the water and it's inspiring because it wasn't this mythical algorithm that solved all these things it wasn't this like crazy you know computer chip or robotic future spaceship it was these tiles it's it's, there's no power they're just tiles just designed the right way and she's actually made me think like there's got to be solutions for developing nations and certain in certain areas of the globe to, to combat climate change and, and, and pollution and all these things uh, that, that are low tech because you don't have as infrastructure. And so she was the most inspiring person that I have um, come across in a long time. Huh. I'm a huge fan of hers. Um, and so, uh, yeah. So, I mean, I love the Elons of the world, but like she, like this per this, this lady who like literally like saw, saw this need in her home and then went to school and solved it. That to me, there's nothing more entrepreneurial than that, right? Noticing a problem and solving it. Amen. I think that's great. That's a great answer. And if you'll send me that link, I'll put it on the page uh, on tomsinger.com slash podcast that corresponds to this episode. Uh, And the last question that I ask everybody is what do you do to give back to the greater good? Because here's my theory. If we're fortunate and I think entrepreneurs, we're fortunate. If you're fortunate, and you get to do what you want to do and you get to follow, create your own path in the world. You got to do more than make money. I mean, making money is nice, but you got to do more. So what do you do to give back to the greater good? Oh, it's a great question. Um, so I'd say answer in kind of three parts. Uh, one is I, I do donate money just straight up to certain charities I believe in. Because uh, I think that's, I think there's great people doing great things that you should support. Number one. Number two is... Um, I don't, time is a big commodity to me just as much as, or more so even than money. And so there are a couple of, uh, nonprofits that, uh, I, I'm excited about. I think are important that I, you know, sit on advisory boards or boards and, and I advise like the planetary society, which is, you know, uh, the largest space advocacy and outreach nonprofit in the world, which I think is really important because, you know, I think specifically in this time and the, you know, the non-militarization of space, like I, it's a really important time, I think for, for that. Uh, and, and I sit on some others that I think are uh, interesting and important. And, and then the third is, you know, it, and I haven't done this full disclosure until Hypergiant. So, you know, it's newer, but, you know, I, I really want Hypergiant to be mission driven. And so we, we, we're working on things like climate change. We're working on things like how do we make firefighters and soldiers and, and astronauts lives safer. We're working on how do we create uh, software to make oil and gas companies more efficient, right? And because that's actually better for the world like people love to think negatively about oil and gas but i'm like yeah in 100 years they're going to be selling you your power it's just not going to be made from you know dead plants and dinosaurs right it's Mm -hmm. made from from more renewable sources but those energy companies aren't going anywhere so the better we can make them the better they move into this and so um so i i try to 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 spend a lot of our time at at hypergiant staying core to that focus i haven't done that at other companies i've started they've been mostly focused on a product or service or in in the growth right but this one we really do try to practice what we preach 
Um, and, and so those are kind of my big three things, right? Like the, the work that we do, uh, not for clients, but out of R and D, we really want to make a world a better place. You know, like one of the, I'll give you one other quick example. Uh, we worked with the great folks at Booz Allen and they released this AI model marketplace so that all these government agencies and companies could take, um, take models uh, from all these different companies and use them. And the models that we developed, you know, the first one was a disaster mapping system for first responders. That's not something that we had the ability to go build a whole business around or does it fit our thesis, but we had great people at Hypergiant that were able to build these models, upload them into the system so that FEMA and other first responder agencies can use satellite imaging and understand and prioritize and kind of relevance rank where to help based on the most amount of da damage, which you can't get from a street view, you'd have to get from satellite imaging. And so this is color code coordinated. It's, it's super, uh, you know, super effective. And um, yeah, and so we, even with that, we, you know, we're looking at how can we invest the great minds of the women and men at Hypergiant to, to build cool things that can also like help, right? And <laughs> so those are kind of three things. The, the writing of the check's easy, the giving the time's hard, and then, you know, making sure that no matter what we're doing at Hypergiant, we stay true to the mission uh, is key. I, I, lo I loved all of that. And I've been asking this question since the beginning because it's something that I did when I started. And again, I'm a little guy. My business isn't going to scale. My business is me. But uh, early on, my wife said, look, we're very fortunate. You're making some good money. What do we do to give back? And I didn't have an answer to that. And I, haven't, I talk about this on the show sometimes, but it's been a while. So I'll tell the story again. And that is when I started speaking professionally, I actually had a full-time job. So it was side money. Uh, we started taking just a percentage point or two and we started giving it to a charity and we specifically chose uh, the uh, Dell Children's Hospital and we created an endowment called the Kate Singer Endowment for Cranial Facial Research. And it, awesome. and it now exists at Dell Children's and Rady Children's Hospital in San Diego. And I thought, you know, maybe someday it'll grow to $10,000 for research for kids born with cranial facial abnormalities. Because my daughter, Kate, who will turn 18 in just a couple of days, uh, my daughter, Kate, was born with a condition where the bones in her head were fused together. And uh, she needed to have her entire skull rebuilt. And there was no wow. Dell Children's Hospital. We had to travel across the country, find the best state-of-the-art hospital and doctors. And at that time, we ended up at Rady Children's in San Diego. And then when Kate was about five, they opened Dell Children's Hospital. And by the way, she's fine. You'd never know that she, they removed half of the top of her skull. It grew back. Her head looks like a cantaloupe, not a watermelon. I mean, it's all good stuff. Yeah. But uh, we started giving there. And then we started splitting the money and giving part of it to, to San Diego. Well, fast forward 15 years or 13 years. It's now over $70,000 that we've donated and raised for the two funds. That's awesome. Well, and the thing about it is, is that I don't come from a family that has their name on the wall of a hospital and I don't have venture backed companies like some of you entrepreneurs. I'm just a guy who just gave a little bit and just kept doing it for 13 years. And one day we looked up and that's what it was. So I, I was like, wow, if I can do that, just being a guy who goes and gives some speeches at companies, what if every entrepreneur just found a little way to serve? And I don't think everybody does. And that's sort of my little mission is convince people to do it. In fact, I give a TEDx talk called The Art of Giving Small. And that's what it was all about is how you don't have to be rich to actually have an impact because $70,000 is a lot of money for research. Yeah, no, you're, you're, you're a thousand percent right on a little bit goes a long way. And um, like, it, it, like, I wish I could sit here and, and say, oh yeah, I've, I've always been like this. I have. It, it, it took a while and it took some hard days in the mirror to get to the point where I did it. I, I wish I could, you know, I wish I could say that I, I started like you guys did, but it, it, it is, you know, 
not my entire career, but the, at least the last third of my career, I've been focused on this, but yeah, it's, it, it is important, right? Like they, they, you know, when they always say that, you know, the gift of giving, you know, you get more as the giver than the receiver yep. and it's true, but you have to, but it, it, you have to create that habit. And so, um, it, it, it is important. You know, I, one of the things that I think also a gift that, you know, I hope I am highly inspired by the Schneels of the world. How can, how can we, um, like, like how can I, you know, outside of money and time and in direction of a company, how can we also do things I think that inspire that next generation, right? And so that's not just in giving, but in in creating those things. Like there's so much amazing stuff. You know, I was I was at MIT and Harvard in November uh, and spent a day at both and just seeing the insane stuff that's being worked on is incredible. And to your point, $70,000 research goes a long way. Yeah, and, and, and I did it in $100 checks, $50 checks, $75 yeah. checks over over a decade. Yeah, it's it it, it, it doesn't matter. It, it's just it's the commitment, right? It's 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 kind of like your point on giving and philanthropy and giving is very similar to entrepreneurship. It should just it's it, it's about getting up, showing up in that habit, right? And just every day. Well, Ben, I could literally talk to you for hours. This has been great. But do you have any last words for the listeners of the show? I mean, just uh, thanks again for for having me. And you know, um, if you love. Uh, artificial intelligence space <laughs> trying to save the world or at least play a little piece of it check out Hypergiant great well I think I I, uh, I will be checking out Hypergiant and I apologize in the introduction I actually mispronounced the name of your company so you'll have to forgive me but we got it right in everything we wrote down so that's what everybody oh, will cool. see anyway so it I, is, I didn't even notice so yeah you, it's you it's it's Hypergiant, not whatever I might have said that sounded like Pipergiant. I was just oh. ch ch choking a little. Um, <laughs> but uh, seriously, thank you so much for being on the show. And everybody can just find you at Hypergiant.com. Is that right? That's perfect. Perfect. Excellent. Well, I, sh I so appreciate you. And I hope our paths cross here since now I know that we're neighbors. Uh, so yeah, thank you. Well, for I mean, we'll have to get a beer in Austin. That'd be great. Awesome. Well, there's a lot of good breweries, so that'll work out just fine. Yeah, that's uh, easy. And, and maybe maybe you just come out and watch me do really bad stand-up comedy on an open mic night some night. Oh, I, I'm all in. Like, <laughs> because then you can mix like beer, tequila, and open night. Right, exactly. So, and thank you to everybody who tuned in and listened. I say it every show, if it wasn't for the audience, why would we do this? We wouldn't even have a show. I hope that along the way, the success that Ben Lamb has had, I hope it's left some clues. Because that's what we try to do here on the show is just inspire somebody with an idea or a theory or a concept along the way. So keep tuning in twice a week. We're going to have more interviews with people just as cool as Ben Lamb. I know you're thinking, Tom, how is that possible? How will you ever find anybody that you'll, you'll cool? Probably, the next one will be cooler. It happens every time. The next one yeah. is always cooler than the last um, one. So but in the meantime, go out there. Make sure your ladder is against the right wall and try new things. And while you're at it. Have a great day. Thank you for being part of the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast. Without your participation and listening to these conversations, there is no show. Connect with Tom at TomSinger.com and follow him on Twitter at, at TomSinger. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.